It's Thursday, the 28th of November, and this is the Monocle Minute. Today, a tale of two Trumps. Is the US Republican Party influencing similar populist evolutions around the world? We'll ask the political philosopher Jeffrey Howard. There is a, a connection in the sense that the, the global forces that are producing those grievances are what's driving both the turn to populism in the United Kingdom and in the United States. Plus, Canada's aviation sector takes another step closer to sustainable skies. Why Brazil's print media is thriving, despite the nation's bleak political landscape. And our editor, Andrew Tuck, considers what we might learn from the welcoming architecture of the humble village church. I'm Ben Ryland in London. The Monocle Minute starts now. The year 2016 will no doubt go down in history as one of great political upheaval. Britain sent shockwaves around the world when it voted to leave the European Union in June. Then, just five months later, the United States elected Donald Trump as its new president. There's been much said about whether the causes of these two political bombshells may be linked, and if so, how. But can we also draw links between the Republican Party in the age of Trump and Boris Johnson's Conservative Party? Geoffrey Howard teaches political philosophy at University College London. The radical left Democrats are trying to rip our nation apart. Here is the route map to take us forward. Because unlike any other party standing at this election, we're going to get Brexit done. I don't think we're overstating things. I think there really is this deep connection between what's going on in the Conservative Party here in the United Kingdom and what's been going on in the Republican Party in the United States. Both of them are conservative political parties, putatively self-professed conservative political parties that have really abandoned some of the core tenets of conservatism itself, which have to do with maintaining order, maintaining stability, maintaining predictability. And I think part of what's happened is that both parties have had this kind of populist reorientation. They've answered to a concerned group of citizens who very much have a kind of backward-looking nostalgia about a, a wider, more culturally homogeneous past. They both have a tendency to scapegoat immigrants, and they have a tendency to blame elites. And I think those dimensions of populism have really infected and undermined the conservative aspect of both political parties. We must replace the present policy of globalism and replace it with a new policy of Americanism. The most accepted empirical hypothesis in this matter is that there has been an upheaval caused by globalization with jobs moving overseas, with um, traditional working class jobs being reduced through automation. And that's something that certainly has affected the United Kingdom and the United States as well as many other countries. I think if you look at the, the grievances of what American political scientists or pundits would call heartland voters in the United States, they're very similar to the kinds of grievances espoused by Brexit voters here. And so I think there is a, a connection in the sense that the, the global forces that are producing those grievances are what's driving both the turn to populism in the United Kingdom and in the United States. No one party, no one person has a monopoly of wisdom. But if you look at the history of the last 200 years of this party's existence, you will see that it is we conservatives who have had the best insights, I think, into human nature. 
I brought along a quote by the conservative political philosopher Michael Oakeshott, and it's really striking to think about Boris Johnson and Donald Trump, self-professed conservatives, as, as I read it. So Oakeshott says this, To be conservative is to prefer the familiar to the unknown, to prefer the tried to the untried, fact to mystery, the actual to the possible, the limited to the unbounded, the near to the distant, the sufficient to the superabundant, the convenient to the perfect, present laughter to utopian bliss. And you ask about Brexit, just think about Brexit. It's, there's there's nothing more unknown, uh, especially than a hard deal Brexit. The willingness of the current incarnation of the Tory political party to abandon the predictable, I think, is a real betrayal of conservative ideas. To Canada now, where a new partnership could help clear the air in the aviation sector. Canada is joining a global effort to make air travel greener. A group of British Columbia-based aviation authorities this week announced a new partnership aimed at increasing the supply of sustainable aviation fuel throughout Canada. Starting with Vancouver International Airport, Canada's second busiest airport in 2020. By 2050, Canadian airlines plan to cut emissions by 80% and using greener fuel options will form a massive part of reaching that target. But Canada isn't the only leader in climate-friendly flying. Scandinavian Airlines plans to operate all domestic flights using biofuel by 2030, and Norway recently passed legislation compelling aviation fuel suppliers to mix 0.5% of biofuel into their supply. The growing push for greener fuel should help keep our skies clean and flight chambers quiet. The renowned American leftist title Jacobin published the first print issue of its new Brazilian edition this month. And the timing is notable. Monocle's Fernando Augusto Pacheco has the story. The election of the far-right Jair Bolsonaro in Brazil. It's certainly been felt by the media over there, but it's also not unlike the rise of Donald Trump. Absolutely. Actually, we can draw a lot of parallels of what happened to the media uh, in Brazil and what happened in the U.S., especially with respected dailies. Uh, as you know, uh, you know, Donald Trump has a little bit of a spat with uh, newspapers such as the Washington Post and the New York Times. But I think at the same time, since Trump has been elected, the New York, New York Times, you know, they have been doing very well uh, commercially. Uh, a lot of people have been, you know, subscribing to the paper. And it's interesting because there was just a difference of a week uh, because I think I believe Donald Trump said he cancelled all the government subscriptions for the New York Times and the Washington Post because of unfavorable coverage. The same thing happened in Brazil. Folha de São Paulo is our largest daily, and they are fairly critical of Bolsonaro. I think they are an impartial newspaper. I wouldn't say they have any political affiliation, but you know they've been quite critical. They've been exposing a lot of the scandals in his administration. And he's quite angry. So again, he cancelled the government subscriptions. And Folia did a story, I think, the day after, saying that there's been an uptick in the number of subscribers. It's not only Folia de São Paulo, Ben, even our right-wing media, which in some ways they didn't really support Bolsonaro, but they were quite lenient of what he did. But now they are doing quite a lot of ferocious editorials against uh, Mr. Bolsonaro's demeanors. Fernando, what does all this tell us about the health of Brazil's free press? 
I think it's uh, it's still very strong. I'm, I'm I'm not saying the situation is amazing for journalists. I think there's still quite a lot of risk as well. Uh, and, and even when you uncover a story as corruption or with militia, there's quite a lot of danger uh, there. You know, it can be a bit dangerous, but it's still very much free. And as you can see with the release of uh, the Brazilian version of Jacobin, uh, there's still new titles uh, going there. I think it's quite interesting that this kind of leftist American title decided to do a Brazilian issue. I mean, they've been going on for about 10 years now, Jacobin. And, you know, I think it's a nice venture. There is a market in Brazil for that. And you know how much I love print. I welcome, I always welcome a new uh, magazine in the newsstands. Absolutely, we do. Uh, Fernando Augusto Pacheco, always a pleasure. Thank you. And finally today, Monocle's editor Andrew Tuck reflects on what we might learn from the welcoming design of the humble village church. There are too many stories of thieves running away with the church silver in broad daylight. So many, in fact, that most churches in England have long put the silver away under lock and key. And others have resorted to locking their doors when there's no service. But idle away from the big cities and in rural England, you will still find that many churches have an open door policy in every sense. It speaks of trust and a belief in the mostly good nature of people. That is heartwarming. So, after an Easter lunch on a vivid spring day in the southwest of England, we drifted into the churchyard of St Andrew's Church in the Somerset village of Mells. Headstones leaning like tired gentlemen, stone walls covered with lichens that run from a honey amber to crisp white, and of course, a mighty yew. And the church with its tower that dates from the 1400s. There's nobody around as we enter the church, and whether of the faith or not, there's a sense of wonder. It's the sunlight filtered and mellowed by the stained glass, the mottled shadows and dots of colour echoing the lichens outside. The church is small, elbows must touch on pews during a busy service, and there are signs to ensure that you don't miss anything important. Here, on the wall, is a memorial to Laura Littleton, made by Sir Edward Byrne-Jones in 1886. It features a peacock, with its tail feathers elongated even further than normal in nature by the artist's styled imagination. And here, a sculpture of local gentleman Edward Horner, killed in the First World War. He's featured on horseback, and it all stands on a plinth by Sir Edward Lutyens. But... In the spring light, what really stands out are the kneeling cushions, or hassocks, stored on the backs of the pews. Their beautiful needlework depicts in bright blues and reds, religious symbols, Christmas roses, and a lovely and Easter timely duck in chicky yellows and browns. It's the trust, the faith, that you will leave this church untouched, unharmed, that moves you. Monocle's editor Andrew Tuck there, taking us to church. That's all in today's programme. You can read and subscribe to our daily email bulletin at our website, monocle.com. I'm Ben Ryland. The Monocle Minute returns on Friday.